Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Raw Knuckles Podcast. Please like, follow, and subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> that, honestly, that was like a bad car accident. I was above you watch, looking down. I was up in the press box when that happened. I was I like, fucking, oh. I hammered him, though, didn't I, Knuckles? Oh, oh fuck, yeah. didn't you, you ever? I'm hammered like, him. <laughs> You took his punch after. I don't. You just decided to punch you after. It was like, yeah. right. <laughs> so what's no, I didn't. I didn't like him as a teammate, so that's probably why. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. <laughs> All right, Andrew, thanks for taking the time, pal. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on with us. And um, 31 years old, um, you retired two years now. Um, what, what do you think, well, what do you miss the most about the game playing in the NHL? Um, I got to go with uh, the locker room, you know, being around the guys every day. It's something you can't replicate in real life. You know, you're hanging out with your buddies at work every day and you just horse around and have fun. So I think that's what I miss the most about the game. And, yeah, and, blowing, and blowing guys up center ice too, you know, I don't mind. <laughs> I miss that too. You don't miss getting blown up though, right? Um, no, no, I like feeling, I like how my body feels these days, you know, it feels I don't think I've day. ever blown up a guy in my career. I don't think I ever hit anyone that could say that. That's amazing. Are you, I've uh, done it accidentally on purpose. I've blown myself <laughs> up, you know, I, I've, I've done it all. So that it, it, missing that game, it, it, it's funny, like most people we have on, we ask that question and they all say a locker room, I think any, any guy who played any professional sport when they have to leave that sport that's what they miss the most but you know looking at your career and you're 31 and you know you could still be playing the game how but you miss that but the game itself when you look back the concussions the way you played the game with such you know determination grit uh, not being the biggest guy out there um did you ever or were you ever approached by a coach or someone saying listen andrew I love the way you play, but, and I've heard people talk to Gallagher about this, but if you keep playing this way, you're not going to have a long career. Did anybody ever approach you about that? I mean, Joel Quinville told me uh, I didn't need to fight as much as I did, but he respected me for doing so and respected me for, you know, sticking up for my teammates. You know, that was a part of me. I couldn't really turn that away. It was something bred in me um when i went to montreal and i started getting through all my concussion issues obviously i had some talks with uh, the team doctors the medical staff uh mark bergevin as well and you know, they told me uh if i kept doing if this kept happening you know i would have to end my career early but then i tried to change the way i played but like i said it was bred in me i couldn't i couldn't not be physical i could not be on the forecheck i couldn't not be uh, in front of the net, you know, going to those dirty areas because that's what made me successful. That's where I had all my success. And to be honest, that's what I found fun about the game, you know, was that compete, that battle, that, you know, that grind of uh, physically pushing yourself and, and doing all those little things right. That was 
what I enjoyed about hockey. So when I went back to Chicago, they, they talked to me about trying to change the way I play. And, you know, I tried to, and I was fucking bored doing it. So yeah. I said, fuck it. Went back to playing in your face hockey. And I had fun with it until, uh, until the very end. Is that what would you do? Would you say that nope. like, was like the biggest change in the game since you, when you came into when you left is like the less physical, more speed or what do you, what was the biggest change? Was there any change? I, I think, yeah. I mean, I came in in 2011, 2012 pro hockey and it was pretty tough. It wasn't as tough as, you know, when knuckles played, but uh, <laughs> it was still pretty tough. Guys finished their checks. You know, there was a lot of scraps, you know, but I, it was sucked to be a part of that game because that's the game I love. And then to watch that fizzle out in hockey and, and, you know, not be there so much. It's, I don't enjoy watching regular season hockey anymore. I only really enjoy watching playoff hockey. So, um, and I could, I second that one. There's no question about it. Regular season games can be so freaking boring. And then you watch the playoffs and it all changes. And, um, it, it resembles the game. I think we grew up playing that we love uh, that physical game. Yeah. Maybe not the fighting piece, but at least it gets more physical, more intense. Um, so, you know, looking back, um, say you, you grew up in Belleville and, and that, that tough piece, that gritty piece, where does that come from with you? Does it come from the, the, the kids you grew up with? Uh, family at home. What, what, where does that come from? I got to go family, man. I grew up with two yeah. brothers. One's two years older than me and my younger brother's, you know, 13 months younger than me. And my dad was, you know, all, and my mom, they're both, you know, boys will be boys. They're going to horseplay. They're going to play physical. They're going to have fun. They're going to hurt each other. They're going to fight. You know, that was just <laughs> our household. That's how we grew up. We were, you know, three kids playing triple A hockey. It was quite uh chaotic and you know, it was a hell of a lot of fun that's for sure where does that uh you wear that rubber bracelet or you wore the, with the iron workers yeah. what, what's that all about yeah oh my buddy was an iron worker and, and gave it to me you know and he said you know remember where you came from uh my dad worked uh he was a licensed carpenter worked in construction his whole life you know dragged me and my brothers the jobs you know job site after job site and um, sorry guys. And, uh, I don't know. I just, that blue collar type of mentality, work hard, get paid for what you do, you know, have pride in your work, you know, even if it is a, a job in construction, you know, I think that's society these days. They, no one has pride in that. You know, there's struggle to find anyone to in the trade industry to work, but I think growing up with that mentality of the blue collar family, watching how hard my parents worked, uh, it's just a little reminder of where I came from. Don't take your foot so, off the gas. So that, and is there anything to do with superstitions there? Because apparently you had a few before <laughs> the game. What was some of those superstitions you had yeah. before the game? Stupidstitious is what we call it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I always uh, same you know same routine warming up playing some soccer you know get the body moving and then coming into the dressing room when everyone's starting to get dressed and you know dancing a little bit jumping around in the locker room yeah just kind of some fun stuff that kept the mood light but uh, helped me get prepared for my game as well. 
You still have so, any of those today? Uh, stupid stitches. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I have a routine where I wake up, yeah. we get the kids out the door to school, and you know, I get in the gym five days a week still, just wow. for mental health and physical health, really. All right. Um, you missed two drafts, right? And then you get drafted uh, in the fifth round, uh, 139th overall in 2011. When you were playing junior, did you expect to be drafted? And when you weren't, after missing those two drafts, like, did you get down? Did you say, like, am I gonna, am I gonna get a shot here? What's going on? What uh, went through your mind? Um, to me, I think uh, I had to play major midget. I got cut from the OHL my first year. Got cut from junior A team and had to play major midget. And it was an awful year of hockey and. You know, we, I didn't play much, even though I was one of our better players, but I think that got me mentally prepared for the uh, next step. I mean, going into the OHL, I didn't play a lot of minutes my first year. I played, you know, six minutes a night, and the only way I could stay in the lineup was if I, you know, would fight the biggest guy on the other team, so I, I would do that. And then my second, so I didn't get drafted as a 17-year-old. Didn't get much ice, so I didn't expect to get drafted. My next year, I was still in Niagara. Same thing. Wasn't getting much ice. Only way I could stay in the lineup is if I continued to fight. So I continued to fight. And then I went back. I got traded to Owen Sound, and I got a coach, Mark Reeds, and Terry Virtue. And he told me, I love how much of a rat you are. I love your intensity. I love you compete. So keep it up things will start to go your way. And he played, he played me a lot. You know, we had a good team. We won the OHL. I think I led our team points in playoffs. Uh, went into the Memorial Cup. I led the Memorial Cup in points. And from that point on, I, wasn't ex- I was expecting, you know, to play one more year and go to school and use my school money to, to get a degree in something, I guess. Um, and then... After that Memorial Cup, it was like a few weeks later, the draft came on. I had a bunch, a couple interviews with teams, and then Chicago ended up taking me. And from that point on, I knew I had a chance to play pro hockey. Uh, so I just really focused in on making sure I was mentally, physically prepared. Every shift I got, I made it like it was my last. I you know, put my body through the works just to get that chance. And when that chance came, I uh, I didn't look back. I made sure I was going to be remembered for my first game in the NHL, and I think I did a really good job of that. And Coach Q <laughs> loved what I brought. And wow! Thing, I, I, you know. I didn't. I I find that interesting. That um, <laughs> you know, you, you were thinking about going to college and not even having that dream of get, still getting to the NHL until you got drafted. I found that. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of shocked about that. That you were thinking of going off to college and how things, well, how things you, changed. I'll tell you in a funny story. This is why I was thinking that way. You know, I was playing in the OHL. I didn't have an agent. Um, my mom and dad called agencies to see if they would represent me, and no one wanted to represent me. You know, I was a kid that overlooked you know, year after year, and then I ended up getting having a good year in junior and people saw, all right, this guy's got some coachable aspects to his game where we can make him a better player. He, the work ethics there, the intensity's there. And 
you know, the passion for the game is obviously there. If you just watch me play, you'd see I had passion and I love playing hard for my fans and my team and my teammates. And you know, I just ended up getting drafted and my whole life just turned around in, in a few weeks. Well, I guess so. That's and awesome. uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's a great story. A lot of people, a lot of people don't know that, but yeah, and listen, I, I get the agent pot because I was such a late draft. No one wanted to represent me. I actually talked to Larry Roush. He was an agent for Brad Park, and I met him in a bar in Boston, and I had just been drafted. And I told him, you know, I'm going to need an agent, I think, at some point. Would you be interested? And he said, well, I don't know. We can talk down the road. He fucking guy blew me off. And then years later, when I made it, he was up my ass about switching agents because I, I went with a – a guy who wasn't well known, but anyway, it just reminded me of that. And yeah, I yeah, met no mine. At, I met mine at Johnny's Ice House. You, you're no you in Chicago, Shots? Yeah. yeah, in a fucking like men's league skate. <laughs> sort of guy, Billy Zito. He's at the GM in Florida now. But I met him. That's how I got met my age. I was like flying around a, a bunch of like eighty year old lawyers, and he was like, "Man, you could skate." Well, it's it's funny that it's you know like my family was reaching out to get representation for their kid and not getting callbacks or just getting, Oh yeah, we'll, we'll call you next week. And this just, you know, ghost in us. And, you know, I, so I ended up, I had a guy who represented me, but wasn't an agent and he wasn't certified. So when it came time to sign a contract, he couldn't be in on the negotiations or the signing or any of that. So I was my first year pro uh, Chicago didn't have any NHL contracts available. Uh, I was 19 years old. I didn't want to go back to the OHL because I didn't think I could accomplish anything more than I already did. So they offered me an American League deal, one way, 50000 for one year. And I was like, all right, well, I, I think I'm too good to play in the OHL now. I, it's not going to benefit me. So I was like, I'll take it. And I went to camp, you know, and played an exhibition game, got cut, sent down uh to rockford where i played on like the third line and who was coaching there um, in rockford then? ted dent and and coach q was in chicago that first year yeah yep. so and i just you know i played hard i think my first 37 games pro i had you know 12 goals 12 assists i thought i was doing all right and i got a call because they traded uh rob Klinkhammer him and his contract away for some picks. So a contract opened up and they wanted to start negotiating. And uh, I was like, all right. I was living in Rockford in a basement of someone, another guy's <laughs> house he was renting. I was just, it was just, I was living in, it was a nice place, but you know, I was spending 500 bucks for a, a bedroom and I had nothing else to my name. I had a bag of clothes and I was in debt with my, uh, my parents and my roommate just to help me get started. And, uh, they wanted me to sign, but they didn't want to give me a signing bonus. And I was in the Rockford watching all these kids, you know, get their $90,000 a year signing bonuses and making, you know, 80000 90000 playing in the American League. And they didn't want to give me – they wanted to give me league minimum, keep my 50000 and just have it as a two-way. Uh, league minimum in the NHL, 50000 in the minors, and no signing bonus. And I was like, look, guys, I don't have a car. I in debt with my parents and debt with my roommate just to you know pay rent and eat food because we I moved down there with nothing uh and they're like Mark Bergman was like no we can't do that and I was like all right 
well, I'm not signing it. <laughs> and I didn't have an agent, right? So I was doing this. I think uh, Michelle Stajan was on the call with me from the NHLPA. And I, uh, I went back that weekend after not you know, telling him I wasn't going to sign it. The brass was all there watching. I think I scored a couple goals, got in a fight, played really well. They called me that Monday. We'd like to sign you. And I was like, well, we got any signing bonus. And they said, uh, yeah, we'll give you uh, $5,000 a year. It might even been a thousand thousand dollars a year, and I was like, "Come on, guys! Like, I don't have a car. I'm, bu- I'm bumming rides from everybody. Getting cheap bastards. Yeah, like I can't I tell my little, friends I need this. A little. <laughs> so I said no. And again, uh, you know, in Rockford, the American League, we played a lot of three and threes. So we had another three and three the next weekend. They come to watch. I put up a few goals, a couple assists, another fight. They call me the following Monday. All right, Chelsea, we really want to sign you. I was like, all right, signing bonus. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're up to 10000 a year. And I was like, holy, these guys aren't getting it. So I said no again, and it was getting close to Christmas time. And uh, they came down to watch again. Again, had a great weekend. You know, a couple goals, fight, assists, playing good on the power play. And they want to sign me again. And I was like, all right, what's the signing bonus at here, guys? <laughs> Seems like it keeps going up every time we talk. I might just keep playing here and, and... free pizza. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. They, they kept saying, like, you know, if we, we might call you up if we sign. We might have a chance to play in the NHL. I said, but I said, that's not a guarantee. You know, like, I still owe my parents some money and I need to pay off my debt here. And so I ended up having another good weekend. And they called me in after Ted Dent calls me in after practice. He says, uh, Chicago wants to offer you a contract. So I went in and they ended up giving me 40000 that year for a signing bonus and then thirty, and then twenty, And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll take that. I can buy a vehicle and pay off my debt. And I sign it. I go, out for pra- I go out for practice. I come off after practice. Ted Dent calls me into his office again. And he goes, hey, uh, Chicago Blackhawks are calling you up. You're playing your first NHL game in two days. And I was like, all right, that's fucking cool. And it worked out. I mean, it, I think Daniel Carcillo got hurt at that time, and they needed someone in that type of role to to jump up and fill his shoes, and just worked perfectly for me. I, I guess. I mean, it, you know, hearing that story, it, it, again, it's not easy to hold your ground and stand your ground, especially twenty years old. You know, when you yeah, and you're oh, trying to make it. I mean, that it says a lot about you and who you are to me. And I think I think that's awesome because a lot of guys would have jumped right at it. And I just think of myself, my my signing bonus was seventy five hundred dollars or something Canadian, you know, or NHL dollars yeah. back in the day. I'm like, oh, I just, I, you kidding me? I was like, I, I just jumped at it, you know. And my first season salary was in the minors was seventeen five and sixty in the NHL. So, and I are just dying. You know. Yeah, I just jumped right at it, believe me. Um, and and I, I like hearing that that story, no question. It, um, that first the, the first training camp and, and, and when you went there, Marion Hosa said, it's funny. I remember Andrew Shaw uh, coming into training camp in 2012. He was like a young kid coming in without a visor. His helmet was like on sideways. His shin pads were on sideways, like no tape. Terrible tape job. Just a perfect <laughs> picture of a beer leaguer. I'm looking at Jonathan Taze, and I'm like, who's this guy 
man, look at him. It's funny to watch. I mean, I can picture that the, the way he explained it. And I'm certainly think you didn't feel the way he was describing you, but coming in there, how was that coming into that, that locker room of the hosts, uh, Kane and Taze and, and that whole crowd, like, was it intimidating for you? Well, I'm sure it wasn't intimidating, but for you, but what was that first camp like for you? Oh, I was obviously nervous. With those guys. But, uh, I don't know. I I went in with one mindset, prove myself and don't give a fuck about anything else. So that's what I went in. You know, I was, I was myself. I was obviously a little bit quieter, I think, because, you know, going into camp, I didn't know, I didn't know anybody. You know, I was just a kid from a small town and walk in there and there's all these superstars um but it didn't change how i approached the game or prepared myself and i didn't really give a shit whether they liked me or not because i was there to make the team make a spot. make a spot make a splash you know turn some heads that's all i cared about um so I, that's what i went in and did there i ended up fighting dan carcillo and scoring some goals and i think i sent some kid some kid to the hospital with a big hit that uh, turned some heads and got me one exhibition game and then cut sent down to the minors. So I had to do it all all over again down in the minors. So you got to keep proving yourself and you do and you get called up. Now listen, they have you listed 5'11", 182. Is that real? Yep. I'd, uh, maybe like 5'10 yeah. and a half, 5'10", three quarters. Yeah. But I was about – I was – when I first came into the league, I was like 170 pounds, just skinny, yeah. skin and bones. Um, it took me, you know, until I was like 26 to start putting on weight. I just, I don't know, it's just my body type, I guess. But now I struggle to keep it off like the rest of you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really. Um, so that first game, that first call up, you, you, you get called up, you're coming to Chicago. And again, such a perfect place for you to play the game. Now, I, I think original any original six team would have been perfect for you. There's no question. But Chicago, that crowd, those people, um, they they cling and they love players like you. There's no question about it. How long did it take that crowd to um, for you to really feel like, can we love this kid? I I don't know. My first game was on the road in Philly. Uh, you know, I scored a, a goal. I got in a fight my second shift, scored a goal in my first NHL shot. So I think I maybe surprised some people there, but I don't know. I, I'd have to say, like, I think it was nine games in, I had, like, five goals. So, and a couple scraps. So I think that's when you know, this, this kid can play, I guess. Uh, I don't know. And I think they just... Chicago being that type of city, blue collar, passion for their sports. Uh, I think that's what accept, they accepted me for is because they knew I wasn't out, I wasn't a prima donna. I was out there giving everything I had, putting my body on the line, you know, go to the net, go to the corner, face up against some bigger guy. I think that's, you know, that's what, you know, I was a kid playing a game that I loved and I had passion for. I think that's what they loved about me. Yeah, I don't know, Knox. I'm from Chicago, so Hawks fans, I don't know. They're not like hockey fans. They're Hawks fans. They're like yelling, shoot, when you have the puck at the red line. Shoot! It's not like, you know, fans in Montreal that know the game, right? So, um, well, but maybe, that maybe that's why they like me. I hear them shoot, yeah. and, they, and I just fired at the net. 
Now, did that first game, like, was that you? That was awesome. First of all, your first goal was sick. You dangled Timon in, and it wasn't like you just shot it. And then your your fight against Ronaldo was that like kind of the plan? Like you were fighting right away? Like is that what you had my, your mindset? Well, my mindset almost changed because I started the game playing on a line with Sharp and Taves, and I think Dunks and Siebs were on the the blue line, and I was like, oh, this, I thought I was going to be on the fourth line or something, you know? But you know, I'm here, I am starting my first Angel game with a bunch of Hall of Famers, and but I also told myself make an impact, you know, make sure people remember you. And I fought Zach Ronaldo once in junior and, and Jimmy Hayes just scored a goal and I'm lining up at center and I see him come over the boards and he's looking at me and he just looks at me, do you want to go? And I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. <laughs> so, so he went, I ended up getting, uh, took a huge right punch to the uh, forehead, split me up for 14 stitches. So I had to go off and get my jersey repaired because it was just covered in blood, uh, get stitched up. And then they sent me right back out there to uh, to join the team. I ended up scoring a couple of shifts later. Man, that's awesome. So I had a bus full. I had a bus full of sixty people that came down from Belleville, like friends and family. <laughs> they were there, all up in the, up in the three hundred levels, just going nuts. Uh, I, it was a pretty. Uh, look back at it. It flew by in the moment, but it was pretty uh, pretty awesome to have everyone there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think. Um, Coach Q, right? And and I think back of the days when I played against him when he was in Hartford, and they had a really good team. Remember the year '86 uh, when we won the cup? They took us to Game Seven in Montreal. Um, uh, Pepe Lemieux scored the winner, and we went on. But Coach Q was always one of those guys that I played against that I had respect for. He he played hard. Um, he he was a tough guy to play against, and certainly respected him. Um, was he wearing those classic skates still or what? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he had them on. But uh, honestly, as a coach, when I looked at him in Chicago, and, you know, the he seemed like he had such a good relationship with you guys. That, listen, there was respect that he had to earn. There's no question. But, boy, he, he – it, it seemed like you, you, you had so much respect for him, but he, he – like – Almost every player there would just go through a wall for that guy. Was that is that a fair assessment? Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I'd go through a brick wall for him. Uh, I owe a lot to my career to him. You know, he was he was an amazing coach, but he was an amazing guy. You know, he had he was approachable. It was intimidating to approach him, but once you sat down and talked to him, like you know, he, he was good. He talked to you like a human being. He, he treated you well. He listened to you. You know, uh, one story I always tell was, uh, you know, I was struggling my first year and my ice time started going down from third line to fourth line to, you know, like five minutes a night. And I knew myself personally, I wasn't playing well. Like I'm a pretty good critic on myself and I knew I wasn't playing well. I knew I was making mistakes and I was always obviously working hard, but things just, you know, mental mistakes or whatever were going on and. My ice time got really low, so one morning skate, I like he asked me, Shazi, how are you? I said, good, Q. Do you mind if I talk to you after practice uh, for a few minutes? He said, sure, I'll be in my office whenever you're ready. So I had to work up the courage to go in there and tell him that I wanted more ice time. And uh, I, knew, I knew what I had to say, and I knew, I knew I wasn't playing great. So I went in there and I said, Q, I know I'm not playing well. 
Um, I'm not winning my puck battles. I, I'm making bad decisions with the puck. Um, doesn't mean I don't care or have the passion or I'm working hard. I just, I need a pick me up. I need you to, to give me a little bit of an opportunity to, to get my step back. And he looked at me and said, Chazi, you be fucking ready. I'm going to play the shit out of you tonight. So then he moved me up to the third line, played, I don't know, 15, 16 minutes. I scored two goals and he just gave me the old nod and was, you know, back to being myself. Sometimes players just need a little pick me up. And he was so good at reading that and, and understanding that. I think it was because he was a player for so long himself that he knew, knew players are going to go through their ups and downs. Sometimes they just need a little kick in the ass. Sometimes they need a little extra ice time and more opportunity. And I don't know, he was, uh, it was amazing that he could talk to me, a 20 year old kid, you know, who just started playing the NHL and that's how he treated me and gave me the respect. And so I owe him a lot to my career. Obviously he, he let me walk that fine line, be a prick, take penalties. Uh, and he, he would tell me time and time again, he would say, I don't care if you take penalties, you better play on that fucking line. You know, you can cross that line as much as you want. Just try and sail the box. But if it happens, it happens. And he wow. gave me that much respect that he knew I had to play that way on the edge to be successful, to help the team. And I think that's why he's such an amazing coach. Sounds like Mike Keenan knocks. When I went into Mike Keenan's office, I said, I need a little pick me up. He just told me like my wife's ugly. Get the fuck out of here. It's kind of, no, I did, I did play for him, but that was, I was like thinking to myself, I was picturing myself like going in there and saying that and what he would have said it would have been a complete opposite. But that's oh awesome. God. Oh, right. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we have Mike Keenan on. Uh, it was funny. Uh, Tim, Tim played from over in Russia <laughs> and Tim thought he was going to be like, Oh geez, here's another North American over here. You know, I'll be nice to you. And he said he was as big a prick yeah. over there yeah. as he was here. Yeah. Especially because no one understood him, but like, but me, yeah. <laughs> like, he was your whipping boy. You were he, his whipping boy. He was, the, he was iron uh -huh. Mike for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, um, you know, I, I win two Stanley Cups, uh, 2013, 2015. And I'm not sure exactly the year. I think it was the year before your first cup with that team. And I remember you guys were playing in Detroit, which is certainly a big rivalry game. And I remember Jonathan Tays that game. And um, he had got a penalty. He kind of lost his cool. I don't know if you his remember. Playoffs. But it was – yeah, it was the playoffs, and you guys ended up not winning that series. No, right? we did. It was Detroit we did. We won game, game. Oh, you seven, won that yeah. series, but they were up three. Yeah. That game they seven, were up three one on us in the series, and we had like that record year where we went like twenty four and zero to start the year. Now was that the year before the Stanley uh, Cup or the Stanley, Stanley Cup, Cup year? That was during the Stanley the Stanley Cup the year. Okay. I, I remember them talking about how he's losing it. He can't do that. He's a captain. He, he had so much passion. And listen, obviously, Hall of Fame career, awesome. I'm sure an awesome teammate. What? How would Coach Q handle something like that back in that day? And how did he, if you can kind of shed a little light on that moment? Because that was a big moment, right? He ended up in the box. You know, there was there was some issues there. You know, you could have lost that game seven yeah, because of that. But he, you know what he would do? How things changed, yeah. He, he, would, he would make sure that players kept each other accountable. So, like, we, you know, we had a huge leadership group, you know. We had Taves, Kane, Sharp, Hosa, Keith, 
Seabrook, Crawford, and the net, you know, and then we had our veterans that would come in and out each year, and they were so good at uh, holding each other accountable. I remember Seabs went over and talked to him there and, and calmed him down, and I think we ended up killing the penalty, but we ended up losing. That was to put us down 3-1, and then, you know, we had a team meeting after that because we found that, you know, the, Detroit was playing their old way of, you know, clutch and grab and, and getting away with it. And they, obviously it can be very frustrating. Um, so we had a team meeting to talk about it and we just needed to stay cool. And wasn't QQ called the meeting and asked the leadership group to say something. So then, you know, they held each other accountable and we went out and, you know, game five, we won in overtime. Game six, we won in Detroit. And then we won game seven at home as well. So it was, it was pretty cool to, you know, have a, a legendary coach like that. He was so smart with how... Like, he knew his players so well that he knew if he was to say something, Johnny would have just got fired up again. So he had the leadership group talk to him, calm him down. You know, Q was focusing on line changes, line matching, who's playing best where. You know, he, he was being a coach, and he would let the players coach each other, hold each other accountable. And that was what he kind of – I think that's why we were successful. He put that – he bred that into us that – you know, I could tell you numerous fuck you matches between fours and D and he would, he would just be sitting on the bench fucking like, you know, giggling behind it. <laughs> Loving it. Cause he'd be like, all yeah. right, fucking give it to each other. Like you're right. He fucked up. Let him know. You know? And then it was the other way around. D fuck up the forwards. Are you going to let him get away with this? He just fucking roasted you time to roast him back. You know, and it was just like brotherly family love that we had. It was his coaching style. I, I absolutely loved it. It's kind of common. Nux, that was kind of similar when you guys won it, right? Like your locker room and your, your leadership. Yeah. You guys kind of like handled everything amongst the team in the locker room. It seems like that's very common in winning teams, yeah. at least. Yeah, you don't listen. And you, you don't, you're not able to do it without those guys. And if the coach rec- recognizes that, he certainly steps back and lets it happen. I get it. I know in our situation, not, uh, the coach we had in 86, the Stanley Cup, Jean Perron, he wasn't the brightest ball. He, he just wasn't. Um, I mean, um, he's a, he's a hockey Gainey, guy. Right? Is there any bright bulbs in the hockey world or what? <laughs> no, I wouldn't even call him a hockey guy. Okay. It, um, he's just a guy. We had Ganey, we had Robinson who, who certainly, um, you know, kept everybody focused and basically kind of coached the team to be honest with you during that, that time. But yeah, coach Q. And uh, so that, that first Stanley cup for you, um, Wait, I mean, what a feeling that must have been for you. I mean, we all put, that's what we all play for. Not everybody gets to win one and I'm not rubbing it in Tim, but, um, <laughs> only one here for you, that young, <laughs> that young, <laughs> young kid coming in all the adversity you had to battle through. And then you finally get there. And then a lot of people don't realize exactly what it takes to win a Stanley cup and get through each and every game and round how difficult it is at the end. And then when you finally get there, that feeling of elation, accomplishment, stick to all those things come in. How, how cool was that, that first cup with that group of guys? Like, man, it must have been unbelievable for you. Um, well, I was 21 years old, so I was on top of the world. You know, I was thinking I was going to be working a trade job two years before that. And there I am, you know, hoisting the Stanley Cup that I've, you know, every Canadian kid dreams of, you know, at such a young age. And 
to do it with that team, you know, like what did it take? I'll tell you, it took a lot of pain, a lot of guts, a lot of balls, and you know, it was some hard nights, man. Like you know, I think I that playoff run, I had two broken ribs, uh, concussion, you know, taking Advil, maybe something more powerful than Advil before, <laughs> you know, some of those late games in the series, and yeah, that's what it took, you know, you. you I've always heard people say, you know, they walk by the uh, dressing room of the Stanley Cup team after losing to them, thinking they're going to be partying and so jacked up. But, you know, walk by, if you got to look in that locker room, there'd be ice bags everywhere. There'd be, you know, guys in consistent pain. You know, Han Zeus that year uh, tore like three ligaments in his wrist. But he, when he practiced, he wouldn't shoot. He would just skate, and then the puck would come to him, and he'd just let it go to somebody else because he couldn't pick it up and shoot it because his wrist was in so much pain. But he'd just get a little injection in the wrist before the game to numb all the pain, and he'd go out there and do that. So that's that's what it took. It took courage, balls, you know, guts, lots of blood, playing through injuries, and doing this. You know, in playoffs, it's every other night for two months straight when you hit the finals, you know, like it's, it's exhausting. It's physically, mentally draining. I think the way I took it, I always just said to myself, new series started two more weeks, give it everything you got. If you win. Awesome. If you lose, you left it all out there. You know, don't think about the long game of it being a two month grind. Think of it like week to week basis, you know, and that's, I think helped me get through it um, through those tough times. Injection. So it reminded for, me of Russia. Yeah. Injection. Like <laughs> that's all they like understood. I'd be like, Doc, I got diarrhea. He'd be like, Injection. Injection. <laughs> Injection. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. So, uh, if you love your pet like I love my Saint Bernard Adele, you'll want to feed them a balanced, biologically appropriate raw diet. The reason I've chosen Formula Raw is because all blends of their food are locally sourced and they consist of exclusively human-grade meat and organs, as well as fruits and vegetables. And all products used are hormone and antibiotic-free. So like I said, if you love your pet like I love Adele, you choose Formula Raw. Make sure you go to FormulaRaw.com and use the promo code RAWNUX at checkout to receive 10% off your first order. That's RAWNUX, R-A-W-K-N-U-X. So that first cup, then you go on and win a second one. Uh, yeah, late, no, two years later, right? Yeah. And um, basically the same same crowd. Um, when you you're looking back, and we're talking about all those battles and how difficult it is. When was your first concussion? Was it before you got to the NHL or? When you got to the NHL. When you oh, headbutted that before, puck. That you was know. your first one, right? When you headbutted <laughs> the puck. <laughs> the first one I started feeling symptoms from, probably. Uh, no, in junior, I had I, I got knocked out in junior in practice from a teammate. We were doing an angling drill, and he decided to take advantage of me and elbowed me in the head and knocked me out. And I ended up going to the hospital in an ambulance unconscious. And that was, like, my first really bad one that I remember. But I woke up the next day and felt fucking amazing you know it didn't i missed maybe none of the headaches no, none of the nothing. light bothers you none of that no, obviously it was okay. still a concussion i was completely unconscious you know for like yeah 
I was I was unconscious for like they said like a minute, and then I came to, but like I don't fucking remember. I just remember waking up in the hospital, skating down the ice, waking up in the hospital, and neck brace strapped to a, a bed, and I guess that was like a thirty minute, thirty minutes where I don't remember anything, and that happened to me once again in Montreal. That Greg Patteron hit when I hit him mm, and got yeah. knocked out. I. I was out for, you know, a good 30 seconds on the ice. And then I, trainer said I came too, but I don't, I remember sitting and skating down the ice, lining up my hit. And then I'm fucking on a table and there's four doctors around me with lights in my face. And I was like, what the fuck? Where the fuck am I? Get me the fuck out of here. What's going on? You know, like started freaking out because I, I just came too. I, I wasn't, I was conscious, but you know, lights are on, nobody home, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that honestly, that was like a bad car accident. I was above you, watch looking down. I was up in the press box when that happened. I was I like, fucking, oh. I hammered him though, didn't I, Knuckles? Oh, oh fuck, yeah. didn't you, you ever? Fucking I'm hammered like... him. You took his punch after. I don't. You just decided to punch you after. It was like, <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> now I didn't, I didn't what like I him as ask... a teammate, so that's probably why. <laughs> well, th- that's what I wanted to ask you because I saw you two played together when you first came to Montreal, and um. You know, I know, I think his his wife or his girlfriend had something to say about the French and the media, and which big no no, big no no in Quebec. Yeah, that's a big no. Come on, you know, and you know, it says a lot about him that she did that. That's all I got to say about that. But um, yeah, as a teammate, uh, him. Like fuck, he must not have liked you, and you must have let him know you didn't fucking like him because I, I just you know I didn't like listening to guys bitch all day about not playing. So maybe get go. some balls and do something on the ice to make them let you play. You know, like earn it. Yeah, and he just you know, yeah, like uh, punch a guy yeah, unconscious, just, punch a guy unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, <laughs> Minnie in Dallas, they didn't like him either. There's you know <laughs> common factor because yeah. he was. I don't know. He, he moved to Cali with his wife and just thought he was the coolest, swaggiest guy. Thought he was amazing hockey, but like, fucking earn it, buddy. Like the rest of us. Yeah. Earn I it. hate. I hate him now. I hate yeah. him. <laughs> you should. <laughs> we'll Tim. We'll have to have him on. Oh, Tim. The guy, the guy's got his oh no! And I'm so two faced. I'd be like, "Hey, Pants, how you doing?" I never met him. <laughs> like I. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he's scouting yeah, now. I guess he's got a scouting job because yeah. he. I think he got used to watching so many games that he. Uh, yeah. that he became a good scout. <laughs> I hope he's not looking for guys like him. That's all I got yeah. to say. Whatever team he's scouting for is fucked. Then. Yeah. Um, um. So, oh God, I get so many ways I want to go here. So the concussions. Yeah. Um. You know I'm. I just uh, actually I'm going down this weekend to Boston University to uh, get MRIs. They're going to give me a baseline of where I am um, as far as my brain. They're not going to tell me, oh, you, you're going to have CTE or you have it. They're just going to give me a baseline where I'm at um, neurologically and, you know, for my age. I'm 65 and um, each year they'll monitor me. Now, my friend Proby. Um, it, you know, Danny um, donated his brain to science and he had CTE um, pretty bad when they they looked at his brain. I don't sit here and worry about it. I'm not going to. Um, I got knocked out one time. It was in a car accident. I got ejected from a vehicle. 
but I I apparently had some um, concussions during my career. Now, like you said, I never had those symptoms the next day where I didn't, you know, I had headaches. I, I was averse to light, stuff like that. How many times did you have concussions where you got up the next day and fuck, something ain't right. Uh, something ain't right. To be honest, not till my first year in Montreal that Krug hit. You know, yeah. open ice. I am still to this day, I don't understand how, if it was me throwing that hit, I would have got 10 games easily. He didn't even get a fucking yeah. penalty. They're going to say, I. they told me I put myself in that position. I was trying to play the puck and he took my head off with his elbow. It was. It's what happened. I don't care. Yeah. Go watch the video. It's clear as day and they you know me and my agent Pat Brisson were you know quite pissed that there was no suspension so we had a meeting with them on the phone and they told me well you put yourself in that bad position it was like by by playing fucking hockey fucking you know, like yeah. he, he didn't even try to play the puck all he wanted to do was try and kill me and from from yeah. that concussion on every time I took a heavy blow to the head I would be fucked for like two months you know it was like Ugh movement man like i get in a car and i just start sweating getting white puking it'd just be a five minute drive to the rink you know i'd be fucking out of it you know i was wasn't sleeping i was waking up in the middle of the night puking um i had all this eye issues going on with light sound issues going on it was just driving me crazy and like, i i would get on the ice because you know i was a proud hockey player tough you know i i'm gonna play i'm fine get out there for practice after that crew hit and I woke up felt like I got hit by a truck felt like shit got on the ice and I started skating around and it was just like you know the Daytona 500 everyone's just doing laps at the start of practice I start getting dizzy and nauseous and I'm like what the fuck's going on I can't even caliber that people are skating by me I was just like in no man's land and that's how I kind of felt after each big blow that I had they had they were Big blows. They, they were obviously a concussion, yeah. like the uh, pattern one. And I had one. Went to so I missed two two months from that concussion, Ugh. and I came back. And like I was, you know, as a hockey player, you, you want to play. You know, like I always thought, like the medical staff's job was to play you when you're ready to play. And you know, I was telling them my symptoms. I was, you know, being honest with them, and they just they threw me back in, in that game, that Boston game after Krug lit me up, I came off, I passed the concussion test and like, Oh, you're, you're good to go. I'm like, yeah. They're like, Oh yeah. And you know, in that moment in the game, you're so hyper active, you know, I, I didn't feel it. And I was like, all right, I'm going back out there. Yeah. So I went back out there Adrenaline. and then McQuaid hit me, you know, and I started to hit my head again and played the rest of the game. I woke up the next day. It's like, how the fuck did you guys let me go back out? You know, as a hockey player, uh, you got to hold me back. I'm going to push myself to get back. You know, I get paid to play hockey. I'm going to, if I'm good enough to play, I'm going to play, you know, and these guys just, oh, yeah, you passed the concussion test. Go ahead. Get, you're back yeah. out there. I was like, all right. Yeah. And they didn't look at, like, I was clearly out of it after that hit. And and then I came back and played the rest of the game, ended up missing two months. And, I'd, I, you know, I was fighting them to get me back into play because, that's how hockey players are bred, you know. We want to fucking play. Yeah. So I, I play. I think I probably came back too early. Um, playoffs started, and I went 
head on head with Brady Shea in the corner. And I had like this weird sense of like deja vu. And I was like, you know, stumbling off the ice and I got off and I was like, oh, fuck. But it was playoffs. So I was like, I'm going to play. I'm going to do my, they traded for me for this part of the year. I got to, I got to come yeah. out here and, and show them what I can do. And then I was playing through, that was game one. So I played through concussions through game two, three, four. I got in a fight in game four. Five, I got punched in the head by Brandon Smith a couple times in a fight. Hit a couple times because it's playoffs. And I remember my wife was worried about me. Um, I was puking in the middle of the night and not sleeping, just angry all the time. Couldn't get in cars. So she made me, she made me call uh, Mark Bergman and tell him. And like, Mark's a pretty emotional guy. You know, we got on the plane to go to New York for game six and he pulls me back and he, you know, he's almost, in, he's almost in tears about the whole situation and mad at me for not saying anything earlier, but I wanted him to know like, Hey, I'm a hockey player. I'm ready. To, I'm fucking here to play. Yeah. So I ended up missing game six and we lose. And that summer was probably one of the worst summers of my life. I, you know, I, it's tough to say cause I got married that summer, but, uh, you know, I, I was going through shit mentally, you know, like I wasn't sleeping. I was aggravated and, and feeling like shit. And it took, I had to do four MRIs, functional MRIs on my brain that summer. And they were two and a half hours long, each MRI. And I couldn't sleep through them. I had to stay awake. And that was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life was lay there for two and a half hours without falling asleep, without moving. And I was like, and like I said, I was very aggravated at this point. I don't know if it was the concussions or whatever, but I remember sitting in there for my, my third, cause they wanted to see how my brain was doing functionally, you know, as months went by. Cause I wasn't allowed to play until they saw what they wanted to see on the uh, MRI, you know, to clear me. And I was sitting in there and it was like, I have neck issues since that Krug hit because my whole head just kind of whips and I've had issues since with my neck since. And I was laying there and my neck starts hurting and I'm like, I'm like, fuck, I can't move. Like, you know, all I want to do is move and crack my neck to make it feel better. And they're like, I have a buzzer. I buzz them. They're like, Oh, what's wrong? I'm like, my neck's really killing me. Like, uh, how much time? Like, Oh, you got 30 minutes left. So I was like, all right, I'll try and tough it out. And it was like, I think 10 minutes went by and my neck was just throbbing. And I buzz them like, how much time? Like, oh, 20 minutes. And I was like, uh, can you just get me out of here? And they're like, no, just sit 20 minutes. We'll be good. So I let oh, five more minutes go by and I just fucking said, get me the fuck out of here right fucking now. Mm-hmm. And I started like ripping shit off me and then, holy, calm down, calm down. And I was like, you guys not fucking listening to me? So then I had to redo yeah. the last 30 minutes. So it was like one of the most painful things I had to put myself through. So it was a tough summer for me, but I felt good coming into next year and I had a, I think I had a, a decent year. So I was playing well. And then uh, that pattern thing happened. I blew my knee. Um, I had to get knee surgery plus a concussion. And it was just a, a bit of a shit show for those first two years there. And then when I came back, you know, the following year, Montreal, I was playing with, I was playing on the fourth line, barely playing any minutes. Claude Julien, I don't know what he thought of he was just wasn't playing me and I knew I was better than the kids they were playing, but that's the French man. They, the French media was all about 
we need oh. to play these French guys. We need to play these French guys. Like, yeah. why is this guy playing? So then I watched like three rookie Frenchmen. Nothing against any of them. They're all good guys. I was friends <laughs> with them. I never, I yeah. never, what didn't Greg Patteron in the locker room and whine about it? You know, I just kept my head on straight. Yeah. Control what you can control. So I just kept pushing myself and Claude calls me in. He's like, we're, we're going to scratch you. And I was like, I've never been scratched in my life, so it was obviously, you know, a hit to my ego. But I went out and I fucking went to practice and I battled and I got bag skated after and we ended up losing. I got scratched two games in a row. We ended up losing big time. So I got to play again and uh, someone was hurt, so they played me with Domi. And then me and Domi just took off. We were pretty good together. You know, I think we just saw the game the same way. But yeah. Yeah. We were, we were, I got lost in that conversation yeah that's okay that's okay uh i was too many concussions I, I can, certainly no i get you um and um you know I, I i hope for you you know you you don't suffer long term that's all when i when i think about what you've been through because honestly that krug hit was fucking vicious and it's unbelievable so we hear the league talk about we're gonna eliminate head hits you can't target the head all this and then we see the Truba hit the other night. Oh, it was, that was disgusting. And they explain it like – they explained it away as, you know, it was okay, and they put some of the onus on – on Timo. On, uh, yeah, Timo yeah. saying he was – put himself in that position too. And I just – I don't know when they're going to fucking wake up until someone gets – killed or someone until a superstar the game is until so like a fast superstar gets so hurt yeah. that they can't yeah. play and that's when they'll change it but if it's a, yeah. a pigeon like myself who clearly mm -hmm. who's gotten in trouble himself with the nhl yeah they're gonna let that shit go I, yeah. I don't bring in the fans that you know mcdavid brings in that's all they care about My, yeah. price tag yeah i can tell you that when we leave the game it's the same thing you know they don't give a fuck about us no, yeah, I believe yeah. we found out pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, although, what I will say in defense of the NHL in that, because it's it's easy to point the finger, that when I did have problems, they did step up to the plate and help me uh, go to treatment and get my life in order. That's so good. I will say that. But well, it took them mentally, two years to message me, yeah. two years after retirement yeah. to message yeah. me to see how I was yeah. doing. Wow. Well, not this has nothing to do with the front office, the NHL, like Batman and them. This was the 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 doctors from the substance abuse piece of the league. Okay. So, which they were really cool with me. And well, that, listen, it's I can never <clears throat> say ahead. enough good things about um, like the Chicago doctors and medical staff and yeah. and my agent Pat Brisson. They went beyond for me in my recovery. Now, um, and you said it, so, you, you know, those concussions and you kind of, you, you couldn't protect yourself from yourself yeah. too, in a sense. So there's mm -hmm. that responsibility there. Some of that lies on you and certainly the medical staff, it lies on that, geez, we got to hold this guy back. And it, and it seems like it didn't happen. Um, so do you like, now, I, I, I watch you on Instagram with your family. you got a young family. Uh, you do a lot with your family. I, I, I see it. I follow you. And, you know, do you ever have any 
residual effects from all that shit that happened during your career, oh. you know, around your family? Do you find yourself having to hold yourself back? Any of that anger shit come up? Because I, I had to deal with it, and and I did deal with it, and it wasn't easy. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't fun, but I had to face it like I had to face everything else in my life. Yeah, I'd say I did and do. I mean... Like I said, the sound sound is really something that bothers me. So and when you have two kids, it just you know kids just scream and whine all the time, right? Yeah, well, I got two. Yeah, like pattern. Yeah. I'm fucking dad. I'm dad of the fucking year. That's for sure. Well, I feel the same way. I feel the same. Dad of the year. We're victims, Shazzy. We're victims. So I think a lot of that, you know, was a, a big game changer. And I think my wife realized, you know, pretty early that it was bugging me. So. When things would get too loud, kids are screaming or whining. She just, she was really good about it, just telling me to leave the room. You know, go, go chill out somewhere. Just go take a yeah. breath, and, and it helps. You know, I, I talked to, I got a psychiatrist. I talked to a psychiatrist about, you know, good Chicago, Chicago actually. You know, because I was really like, Gapper and JT, the two medical guys there are, some of my like they're good friends. You know, they're like I love, yeah. I love, I worked with them for seven years, but. I think I'll be friends with them the rest of my life. They knew I was struggling with shit like that. So they called this guy, talk to this guy, yeah. talk to him once a week. And then I did for months and months and months. And then, it, you know, he helped me through a lot of stuff. So that's why I give them well, so much praise because they were great to me. And Pat Brisson treated me like I was yeah. Patrick Kane, you know, the way he'd answer his phone and call me and check up on me and, you know, get me appointments yeah. to go to Michigan to see a neurologist, and they were great with that. But I do, I do, I so, do, uh, I, you know, but I was struggling with it, you know, like, you know, as a hockey player, we're in routine, you know, we're told what to be or where to be, what to wear, what to eat, mm-hmm. all that shit. So once that ended, I was sitting at home, like, jobless. Oh, yeah. Purposeless, I guess, other than being a husband and a father. Uh-huh. So I, I had to uh, find a way to, to get through that. And I got into a really good routine that I still do today. And you know, I wake up and get the kids to school. I, I work out for about an hour and a half a day, sauna, cold tub, vitamins, eat healthy, stay hydrated, you know, health stuff to take care of my body and my mind. Stay busy. Uh, that's for sure. That's good. You're doing that because, you know, listen t- for me, take it from Tim. I'm, I, I, I got lost in that transition and, I'm still and it wasn't good. You know, no, we're not, we're hockey players, good. boys. So, we ain't bright. Yeah, huh? I'm still lost. I'm like, what am I even doing here? Like, fuck. <laughs> no, I, I love what you're saying. Cause honestly, like in any walk of life, it's just like, you don't have to do it alone. Right. And you're not going to do it alone. Right. Like a lot of that help you just acknowledge is, is awesome that you have family, that. friends, man. For sure. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a long way. And uh, you know, Andrew, that, that and you talk so highly of Chicago and I don't blame you. I certainly, I think of, my years and back in our day, there was no free agency. So we stayed together for a long time mm-hmm. and your team stayed together for quite a few years there. You knew you had something good. They were able to keep you together and you build that family atmosphere. Um, so when you had to leave Chicago, cause it fucking almost broke me when I had to leave Montreal, I tell you, um, when I went to New York, it almost fucking broke me, but I didn't let it. And, um, but emotionally and you know, Hockey players, we don't talk about our emotions. You fucking stuff them down, suck it up, and keep going. Like a big boy. But 
Yeah. yeah. How difficult was that for you when it, I mean, I know you're coming to Montreal here, so there's some, you know, it's better than going to, you know, fucking wherever, you know, Arizona or, you know, somewhere to golf, yeah. but you were coming somewhere else to play hockey and, and Berge was here, which I'm sure helps you a little bit dealing with it. But how difficult was that when you got that call? I'm, you know, I'm fucking out of here. I love this place because the fans love you. Your teammates love you. Everybody fucking love you. It was you're gone. It was heartbreaking, man. Um, after right? I got, I'll tell you the story, but when I got traded, there was a whole process to it. But when I did get traded, man, I, I had a, I had a tough time going back to Chicago, like just cause it was, you know, like fuck, all these warm memories come up and knowing I'm not going to play there again. It was, it was, it was extremely tough. But the whole process was tough because Taze and Kane, the year before I got traded in the summer, they signed their extension for 10 and a half. So we get to the end of that season. We lost in game seven against St. Louis. And, you know, I, my contract's up. You know, I got two Stanley Cups under my belt, 20 goal season, you know, helping in playoffs. So I was like, all right, I, I think now I'm we got to get- pay Andrew. No, we got to pay Andrew. Yeah. It wasn't, <laughs> right? but it wasn't just me. It was a lot of guys. All yeah, the, few guys. So yeah. they told me like, all right, we want to resign you. We just have to move some pieces first. So I was like, all right, I'll be, I'll be patient. Pat Brisson was like, all right, let's be patient. So it was like two months where, you know, they would call in once every two, three weeks and check up and be like, Hey, we're still trying to move some pieces, you know, to make some room for you. You know, they ended up trading away four guys before the draft. So I was like, all right, they, they got to have room for me. And they never once offered me a contract or even asked what I would take, you know, a pay cut to stay or any, they didn't offer me anything. So it came to draft day, Pat Brisson calls me in the morning and says, Shazi, I think they're moving you today at the draft. And I go, oh, fuck, great. And he's like, but I have three teams that really want you. You pick which one you want, and I'll make sure you go there. I think it was Calgary, Winnipeg, and Montreal. And I was like, oh, I was that's like, fucking easy. Uh, yeah. Wow. It, Calgary's a pretty good place. But. Winnipeg's a, what are you talking about? Yeah, Winnipeg. I was Winnipeg. like, oh, well, sorry, Tim. I, was like, I don't know if I could live in uh, eight, the 1800s, so I didn't know if I wanted to go back to Winnipeg. So when he said Montreal, you know, I'm an Ontario boy. Montreal is like three and a half hours from my, you know, from my house. Yeah. So I was like, Montreal. And he's like, all right, I'll make it happen. He, so he, day goes on. I was at a, a wedding and I get the call. And yeah, you, you, you know, being traded to the Montreal Canadiens. It was, uh, oh my God, Stan Bowman called me. And I was like, all right, thanks, Stan. He's like, sorry, Shazzy, I couldn't make, you know, we loved you here. It's a business, you know, we can't afford to keep yeah. you. He's like, I, I get it. I, I understand. And then uh, my dad calls me. And he goes, there's 29 other fucking teams in this league. And you go to the one that I can't fucking stand. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like, you know, he, he, he was, he was a Boston fan growing up and, you know, and yeah. being Ontario and Quebec, they're always that, you know, subtle chirps back and forth between, you know, the Frenchies and the squareheads. And yeah. so he was like, fuck the one team I can't stand is like, dad, it's owned by Molson. I know you love your beer. It's three hours from home. You'll be there. They play Saturday nights every fucking weekend. You're going to love yeah. it. He's like, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, I, I can deal with that. Then they had, they had the beers cold for him in the uh, family room. And 
they get, came down every, I swear to God, every weekend, me and my wife were like, mom, dad, you can't be fucking coming here every weekend, you know? And they loved it, right? Their face was painted. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty, pretty good story. It was pretty, pretty funny, but my dad ended up loving it. Q actually left me a, I didn't answer cause I was at the wedding and he left me a voicemail and the voicemail, I saved it for years and it was like, Shazi, fuck, I'm going to miss you, buddy. <laughs> You're a hell of a player. Every coach will be lucky to have you. And just kind of parted ways that way. And I kind of kept in touch with him over the years. And yeah. we talked about, I could go on about Q all day, I guess. But Yeah, it's so funny. Well, I'm going to ask you something else about him. But it's funny because it brought up in me. My dad, when I was in New York, I wanted to go to Boston. My father called me and said, the way they fucking treated you and what they said about you and fucking nylon sucks and nylon suck. Fucking don't come back here. He told me, don't. I said, dad, I always wanted to play for the Bruins. Yeah. He said, don't fucking come back. And I did. And he, he never fucking got over it. He fucking, he, he didn't even want to go to games and he fucking hated the Boston fans when I was in Montreal. But it's funny when you said that your dad, uh, sounds like my father, God rest his soul. Um, he, Coach Q, uh, let me get back to him for a minute. Um, that whole thing, and I, I, I want to bring it up, and I we don't have to get bogged down on it, but the whole Kyle Beach thing, you, you know you know what it's like here. You played here, the fucking everybody's squawking about this one, that one, what color tape they were. Oh, he had fucking red tape on tonight, not black tape. They know everything, and they think they know everything. But that being said, um, I – um. You know, fuck, I lost my train of thought. How's that? Concussions. Um, Concussion, yeah. uh, Coach Q, in dealing with that whole Kyle Beach thing, and I I think, honestly, I think they fucked that guy, the NHL. I think it's so wrong that he's out of the game right now. Or he even had to fucking sit out a year. Because um, that's a management thing, and management runs the show there, and they tell a coach, here's the deal. You focus on this team winning the Stanley Cup. You players, don't say a word about it. Just fucking focus on winning. And then that guy pays. And I just think it's so fucking wrong that he's out of the game right now. And he's actually got to go get an interview with fucking Gary Bettman to get back in the league at some point. I don't know when that's going to happen. I think it's a fucking shame. It is a, that he's it is a shame. To me, he's the greatest coach of all time. And, you know, if he doesn't come back to coach... For that reason, I mean, that's a huge loss for the NHL. I mean, he's he could develop players better than any other coach. He could push teams to, you know, bring out their best every game. That whole situation, I I, I don't know when it happened. It was the second round or third round. It might even been going into the finals. I honestly don't think any of the players knew anything about it until the following training camp. You know, like at that point in playoffs – all you do is hockey, sleep, eat, hockey, sleep, eat. You know, like they have you staying in hotels when you're at home because they want you just focusing on the game. So I, I don't think it came into the locker room until the following. But at that point when it came in, I don't think they knew who it was. Like they didn't know it was Kyle. And uh, from what I heard was, you know, management, like the whole management had a, a quick meeting about it. But Stan and Q got wrapped up in it because obviously they're you know leaders in their own you know, area and 
they uh, they they weren't in the meeting long because figured that's you know that's an HR problem. Um, yeah, I don't think. I mean, I I lived with Kyle uh, in uh, in Rockford. Um, you know, he was great to me. He helped me out pay rent my first two months. You know, he helped. You know, he paid for my groceries for you know a couple of weeks till I got a paycheck in me and. So like I have nothing bad to say about Kyle, but uh, it's a shame that something like this had to go that far when it could have been you know nipped in the butt pretty quick um, from yeah. upper management, from HR. It should have had nothing to do with the players and the coaching staff or the GM in that time. You know, like you leave that meeting thinking, all right, they're taking care of it. That's yeah, their job. Our job, my job, is to coach the team. Yeah, that's what I'm here to do. Yeah. HR and upper management can deal with that. Obviously, it sucks, but you know, as a as a 20 year old, I would probably never put myself in that situation that Kyle was in. Yeah. I would never would have. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, you can say I can say that, but obviously, I don't know what was going on with Kyle or or, or anything going on in his head. But he put himself in a bad situation. Yeah, and we all have at one time or another. But I, I, again, like you, I I would never be in that situation. Uh, and if I happened to be, I would have fucking gouged that guy's yeah. fucking eyes. Yeah, my thumbs would have been in and, the back of his through his fucking eyes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And um, that being said, that um, again, I look at the upper management should have dealt with that guy. And then, you know, the mistake of he fucking giving him a. Letter of recommendation, uh, or fucking it is, or? Uh, yeah. fuck! That's in, insanity. Like, shame on you for that. But I don't and know it, if that has that anything to do fucking, with the organization or it's yeah. an old boys club because I know his old yeah. man was, you know, high up and yeah. I, who knows? But right. like, you send him to a high school. But that got nothing to do with Coach Q. No, uh, for sure, nothing to, nothing to know, do with and Coach that's, Q. I agree. Yeah, and and I really feel he's been wrong. I just only hope someday it gets back in the NHL because. Um, he deserves to be there. Because you anyway, want to see that big Bruce, you know, the, the old mustache on the bench, eh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck, he's awesome on the bench. Honestly, passion. fuck his demeanor, everything, passion. Yeah, you know, I never, again, I played against him. I didn't play for him, but I, he's one of those guys I looked at. I'm like, fuck, I would have loved to play for that guy. Just love to play for him. And obviously guys like you certainly. Never had a good um, coach after ben- I left him. Benefit. I'll tell you that. Never had a good coach after I left him. I, I love that. I love your honesty and being up front because it, it's, you know, you, you went somewhere else and, you know, we're loved there. And you get to Montreal, but you're here. And so let's, the coaches, apparently, uh, they don't come close to Coach, Coach Q, and that's fine. Um, how did you like Montreal, though, when you got here? The city, the vibe, yeah. you know, like the Bell Center. Like, it's pretty cool to play. Loved it. And to wear that jersey. Loved every minute of it, man. You know, I moved into the South Shore, got a nice house. You know, Webby was right in behind me. Petrie down the street. Pricey, Polly B. They're all, you know, within two minutes. We, it was, the group of guys was amazing. The fans were amazing. The hockey was amazing. I wish we could have done more, obviously. I wish we could have, yeah. you know, won a little bit more. But we went through, I don't know what's wrong with that cursed organization of just injuries after injuries, you know, like, yeah, you know, I think one year we had uh, two years in a row, we had most games missed by, you know, starters this year again with this team. I don't, I don't know what it is, 
but it's the fucking Bell Center. The, it, <laughs> it's the curse of the forum, I think. But um, I loved it. Hopefully, I, I love the food. I love the people. I love the excitement about yeah. hockey. You know, it was three hours from home, so I had friends and family up there all the time. And you know, I started. That's where we started our family. You know, my, we had my daughter. Um, you know, my after my first year there, and I don't know, it was. It's quite amazing. I, I enjoyed it. I, I yeah. sold my house to Ben Sherratt. I wish I never did. I wish I kept it so I could come back and visit. And you know, it was a beautiful yeah. spot. So it was a good time. Well, Nux, good for you, Nox. You got an extra so, room. Yeah, let him in. Let him in. Yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> bunk, he'll we pay rent. Beds, like like when he started his career. Yeah, we got five hundred bucks. We're good. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll say this: when I got traded out of Montreal back to Chicago, I was very upset about it. I never wanted to go anywhere. I just had an amazing year playing with Domi. You know, I just was getting over right. all the concussions and like hockey was great again. I was loving it, you know, because those first two years was pr- pretty so hard. So how did me. that happen though, Shazi? Like, like Bergie's there yeah. still. How, how does he trade you back to Chicago? Like, so I'll tell you. Like, listen, I, I, I know he had to, listen, he, he had to start rebuilding. His job was going to be in trouble. So he, I know he wanted to stock up on draft picks again and, because he didn't do that at the beginning. Well, look at all the you know, he tried to trade his way, did, man. Like the yeah, yeah. Dvorak, what's he thinking? You know, like that's that's yeah. my yeah. That's what I had. They given me a hard time about point production and everything, and they go in and pay a guy like that who earned nothing in the career. Yeah, I was like, you know, yeah. there's a mistake, you know. And then there's Jonathan Drouin for you know Sergeyev, you know, like yeah. Oh, but, hello. But that pulls in the whole. The French part of it, where they, they we want a French superstar. It's like, yeah. How about you just have a superstar? You know, like when's the last time they had a point yeah. point per guy? You know, a point per guy on their team. Well, they're talking about yeah. getting Pierre Luc Dubois now. That's the new. It's too much pressure for a French kid town. to come in and play there. You know, he has one yeah. bad game. He's the worst kid in hockey. And yeah, you know, I just found. So when I got traded, I don't know. I don't know why I had. So I got hurt earlier in the year and they wanted me to be more open about my concussion stuff. So I took a high shoulder hit and my neck twisted. So I played the rest of the game. We flew to Dallas. I get to Dallas. I'm like, I don't, I don't fucking feel good. Like, you know, so I, I tell them like, all right, I got some neck issues. I got headaches. So right away, right then they shut me down. I was thinking it was going to be like a two week thing, you know, a week thing. They shut me down for like six straight weeks. And I was like, after a week, I was like, I'm fine. Like, I'm feeling fine. You know, like, I've learned so much about concussions that, like, seven to 10 days is when your concussion's healing. And after that, it's symptoms that are left behind. You got to work through them to feel normal. But I didn't have any symptoms. I was feeling good. So I was like, all right, I'll give you an extra week of, you know, skating and going through all these testing. Like, they put me through the ringer every time I got hit, you know, because they were, I always said they were protecting themselves, not me, because. I didn't. I didn't yeah. feel the love. I didn't feel like anyone was listening to what I was saying. They were just. How about Bergy? Wasn't it, wasn't Bergy? So no, we was had it? a meeting because I was giving our our doctor, Doctor Mulder. I know he's there. He's well respected. Yeah. But yeah, you know he's not a, he's not a brain doctor. You know, and uh, their medical staff was like against me. They were trying to get me to retire. They like pulled me into a meeting unexpectedly. And had the three doctors, Mark Bergevin, all the medical staff in there, and they were teaming up on me, grilling me. Oh, don't you ever yeah. want to like play with your kids? You know, started throwing all this shit at me. Like, mm. you know, you're you're gonna get CTE, and they started like throwing all this shit at me. And I'm like, you got ambushed. I got ambushed by him, and I like 
Yeah. So I s- stood up for myself and I said, fuck you. There's nothing wrong. Clear me to play. I've passed every, like every test they put me through. I passed with flying colors, MRI, flying colors, everything, everything I was passing. And they were still holding me out, trying to get me to retire. And I was like, I've just started having like one of my best years, you know, offensively. And this is yeah. shutting me down. And this is, you know, we're a few points out of a playoff spot. You're 29? I was 29. Oh, no, I was 28. 28. 28. Okay. So I'm like, no. Prime. Prime. Fucking yeah. prime. I'm ready to go, feeling great. And they held me out for six weeks and they wouldn't clear me. So I had my agent. I called Pat. I'm like, Pat, they're not going to fucking clear me. I don't know what's going through their head. I'm telling them I'm fine. I'm being honest. Obviously, because I wasn't honest earlier in my career about it because I wanted to play, but yeah. I learned a lot over those two years of seeing doctors and MRIs and neurologists. And so I learned, all right, I'm going to be honest. So the first time I'm honest with them and then they treat me like this, they ambush me. They wouldn't clear me to play. Like the, no doctor under their staff would sign off that I was healthy to play. So I had, so they didn't believe they you. didn't believe me. So I snapped yeah. Pat Brisson sends, all right, we're going to send you to Dr. Um, Tusher in Michigan. So I went and spent, three days with him and he hooked me up to machines, put me through all these tests and he comes back and says, all right, you're fine. We watched the video, watched my concussions, all of them, watched my fights. He went through everything. He's like, you're fine. I don't know what they're doing. So they sent me back. He sent me back, cleared me to play. And that's what they wanted. They wanted another doctor to clear him. So they, to me, I felt like they were covering their own ass. So if something happened, he got cleared somewhere else. It wasn't us. We didn't want to clear him. So the doctor cleared me. And the moment I get back, I'm ready to play. I'm in game shape. I've been skating. And they're like, oh, no, we're going to wait another week or two. So they sat me out for another week or two. And this is all going on when we're trying to make playoffs. And at that point in the year, me and Domi were playing unbelievable together. We are offensively carrying a lot of the load. And they weren't playing me. So when I got back, I think we were like, I don't know, seven points out of playoffs. I start playing. Me and Domi start clicking again. We start playing well. Comes down to the last few games. You know, we're like, I think we lost out by a point or whatever. And I felt like I took on like a leadership. No, I was. I felt like I was a leader. So I was pu- trying to push the guys, get the best out of them. We missed the playoffs by one point. Go in like kind of disappointed on how the season ended. But like what the guys did in those last 20 games – was impressive and I was like all right we're building something here yeah. next year we're going to be fucking ready you know we're all going to be a year more mature we're going to be that much better we're going to be healthy start the year and then out of nowhere I get a call from Burge and all he said was yeah we traded you and I was like seriously yeah you're going back to Chicago and I was like why and he's like I'll call you later and then hung up and I never talked to him for a year and a half wow and he told me he did it for me I'm like, if you did it for me, why wouldn't you ask for my opinion? I didn't want to fucking go anywhere. I liked what we were building there. You know, we had some good young kids coming in, a great leadership group at that point, you know, and we were ready to go to the next step and just see you later. That sucks. It did suck. That sucks. It ruined a relationship between me and Burge where I had a good relationship with him and it fucking just ruined it. Yeah, you know, listen, especially the relationship you had – I'd have fucking, I wouldn't have done it on the phone. I would have went and fucking looked you in the eye at least and and talked to you before that. And then if you're going to fucking trade him, have the balls to fucking go up and look him in the eye. But uh, anyway, 
God, let's let me get emotionally involved here. I'm not supposed to do that, but um, uh, <laughs> no, it hurt, man. It, it so, made me fall out of love with the game yeah. for a little bit, and you know, like to me, I was a brother in that locker room. You know, I fucking I'm not a big guy, and I was defending my teammates every night, giving every single thing I had. You know, concussion after concussion. Yeah, no one will have a question that. That's yeah, how no one ever like, questioned okay, that. Yeah. Next piece of meat. See you later. Yeah. So you go, you go back to Chicago. Now I remember when no I no queue. There was no queue. There. I went to, yeah, no I went queue. to New York. <laughs> I went to New York. I went to Boston, and then I got picked up off a wave as I got out of Boston. It was like a, I was there for a year and a half on, a, and my first year was okay, but this. It was like a fucking root canal the rest of the yeah. time there. And, and <laughs> I ended up coming back to Montreal. I picked up off of waivers, and I was so happy to be back. But it was different. How about yeah, you? It was extremely different. I think there was like four guys I played with from the time that I was there before that were still there. Didn't feel the same, it right? Didn't feel the, the same coach was like younger same. than you, wasn't he? Wasn't he the coach was, like younger? <laughs> he was younger than uh, a couple of our older guys. He was like 34, <laughs> I think, but... 35 maybe but yeah i come in there new coaching whole new like atmosphere you know like it went from winning is everything to let's have fun you know like yeah i was like no fucking winning's uh, fun so let's fucking yeah, win yeah, yeah. you know You're like he's angry he's concussed yeah. <laughs> and it was just like totally different you know a coach that got the best out of you by maybe riding you a little hard but that's what hockey is if you can't handle it Get the fuck out of here. You know, like, yeah, we're here to win. We're here to make each other better. And then when we, I came back, I was like, this is like a country club. Everyone doesn't give a fuck. And, you know, the coaching is totally different than what I'm used to. Even like, even different from what it was in Montreal. You know, like, Michelle Terrian was hard. Clojian was hard. But I go back there and this guy is like, you know, Jeremy Colton, a really, really nice guy. Like, cares about you, you know, would do anything for you. But his coaching didn't go with how I was raised or how I was coached. You know, it was like, <laughs> all right, guys, we lost 6 nothing. It was because yeah. it wasn't clean out there today. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah. where the fuck is the accountability? Like, you know, it, it sucked because when I was a young guy and I came into Chicago, you had to earn it. And it wasn't one game to earn a spot. It was consistently, you know, I played there five years before I came back. And it was... My fifth year, I've got two cups under my belts, established NHLer. I still had to give everything I had, every practice, every game, every time in the gym. And then I get back to Chicago, and it's like, oh, we traded for these first-rounders that didn't pan out on other teams, so we're going to give them a shot here. I'm like, all right, so where am I playing? They're like, oh, you're going to start on the fourth line or third line, you know, see how it's going because we got to give this kid a shot. It's like give him a shot, make him fucking earn it. You know, like that's how I was raised. That's how <laughs> yeah. champions are made. You know, you earn it and not just once oh. over and over and over again. So then when I went back there, that was the mentality there. They're, oh, we're giving these young guys, you know, an opportunity. And I remember one young guy turned the puck over in our own end all the time, get scored on. You know, we, we were winning. I remember we were winning like two, one, one game it was like eight minutes left in the game. And he tries to back in, toe drag a guy, gets poked in his own end, gets poked, they keep it in, and uh, they score, tie it up. I'm telling you, if it was Q, Michelle Terry, and Clo Julian, you come off as a young guy and you did that and they tie the game up, you're not playing the rest of the game. 
he might not play next game. Yeah. You know, but no. Yeah. His line right back out there, him right back out there again. Another mistake. Costs another goal. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, we're learning. It's like, he's not learning. <laughs> Look at the iPad. Look yeah, at the iPad. Yeah, Check yeah. the no iPad. No swearing. Out. No swearing. Yeah. So I, I just, like, like you said, it was different. The fans were still amazing. Like the organization was still amazing, but like the locker room mentality was totally different than from when I was there. I didn't bitch about it. Yeah. I just, and I was happy, you know. No, it's different. It's yeah. different times, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it's funny. They just fired a coach, like you're talking about Daryl Sutter, who certainly is one of them guys. He holds guys accountable, and some guys just don't like that, right? They don't like it, especially some of the superstars. That's their players. fault. If you don't, yeah, you don't powder their bums and fucking change their diapers, <laughs> then yeah. you're fucked. So Daryl's fucked. But thank God. Um, that guy, I loved him as a player. He was awesome as a coach in L.A., and, you know, it just – that coaches like that are just they're they're gonna be extinct now at some point. Well, it's right? the society we um, live in. Right. Yeah, fucking right. And it's it's sad. Um if I can ask, um, um you look at the NHL today and the game today and you know, we we talk about society. What do you think of players like Provorov in Philly with the LBGQ thing where they don't wear the jersey in the warm-up they don't want to do you think the nhl should just stay away from that or what because i i think of this right could you imagine uh if if someone they have military nights at stadiums mm-hmm. right if a guy said from russia said i'm not gonna fucking wear that thing i'm not wearing a, a military jersey of the u.s everybody would go nuts and like you know i i get it in a sense i i, I hate the fact that sports and politics are intersecting now they've always said they shouldn't intersect what do you think of what Provorov and the other guys who refuse to wear that jersey what do you think of that i mean i respect them because that's extremely hard to do like you know i got in trouble with some you know using a gay slur but it was never towards someone of that community i have no problem with anyone in the, the gay community where my problem is is in society now, they push stuff on kids. You know, they're, they're yeah. Like, I have my daughter. I want to raise her the way I want to raise her. I don't want somebody else raising her. You know, I don't want them putting their views on my daughter. You know, I had her. She, you know, she's mine till she's eighteen. You know, like I'm gonna yeah. try and make her as respectable and as a human being as possible. But I also look at it like like the NHL, Bud Light. You know, you produce hockey, you produce beer. Stay in your lane. Yeah. Why is politics yeah. getting into everything in this world? I don't understand why. Yeah. It's Politics has its own issues. Stay there. Yeah. Why do you have to take a beer who has been never put faces on it from any woman or man over the years, Yeah. suddenly come out of nowhere and put um, someone from the trans community on there? And like, I'm yeah. not, I'm not against trans at all, but you know, leave the kids out of it. That's all I'm saying is leave the kids alone. Yeah. You know, like, no. So I, when the NHL wants to do, you know, um, the Jersey night, people have religious beliefs. They have their own beliefs. Yeah. They're there to play hockey, not talk about their beliefs or other people's beliefs. You know, it's, 
in the hockey community, if there was someone from the gay community um, good enough to play in the NHL, I don't see... Maybe there's obviously going to be a couple bad apples that might not agree with it. But yeah, to me, to 99% of people in the NHL, if you're good enough to play, that's all I, that's all yeah. I care about, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, yeah. your sexual orientation or any of that would never matter to, to me or 99%. You know, obviously there's yeah. bad apples in every, you know, company or whatever. There's, there's bad people out there, but... And alluding to, yes, you said you made a gay slur, you got fined, suspended for it, whatever. I got um, fined for the again, double the I, double finger. I didn't get fined. I got suspended for the slur. For the slur. Yeah. So, and, and a slur that I probably used in my life at one point, yeah. mind you. Me, me. Um, probably. And we used. The whole right. hockey. Well, I, used yeah, it. I mean, it wasn't just hockey. It was I, I said probably because then I'm not, I'm not asking what the slur was. I said probably oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. because I, got you. I didn't know the slur. So probably, Tim, I know I have. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just it's crazy how it's gotten to the point today. Yeah, you can't say anything, offend everybody, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole different thing. Um, you're out of hockey now. You're still a young kid, 31 years old. Um, you know, I, I, I retired at 34, and it was, it was tough. I had a tough time. Um, what are you doing now? I know you spend a lot of time with your family. You keep them busy. Um, but are you looking at that second career at some point? I know you want to stay healthy. You want to, you know, make sure your, your head's in a good place, but you, you're thinking down the road. It's at one point you're thinking of going, going to college and okay, where's my life going to go? It goes to hockey and here you are now hockey's over. Do you, do, you, do you have any aspirations of staying in hockey in some capacity or I, I, some, I, doing something I else? I do. I mean, hockey's majority of what I know. Um, I There's a hockey academy here in Belleville that I work at a few times a week where I skate kids. I train them in the gym. Uh, and then I have, you know, random people message me to, can you do a private with my kid? You know, because I, I, yeah. I I played the game and I wasn't a superstar, so I had to learn the game a different way because my skills weren't, you know, the caliber of the superstars. So I, I, you know, I use my work ethic. I use my hockey sense and the skill sets I had. So now I'm just trying to help because kids nowadays have so much skill, but their hockey sense is pretty lacking. So I'm just trying to help teach and mold kids to get their best potential out of them. And if it works for them, you know, if they get successful and they go play off the NHL, great for them. You know, I didn't have that opportunity, someone to help. The only one who helped me out when I was younger was my old man. And, you know, he he was a beauty. You know, he was he hard on the, us. He, yeah, he hated uh, the Canadians. And he, he hated, hated the Canadians. Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> so I, well, I you're not of, in I Chicago, like, though. You're not in Chicago, though, right? Like, no, I'm oh, in Belleville, I was, Ontario. You're, I, when you were saying all that stuff, I was like, I'm, I'm with you on all of it. And then I'm like, fucking, what are you in Chicago for? With, I hate the mayor. I hate you know what I mean when you're saying all that. But no, I'm glad yeah. you're not. <laughs> no, once uh, no. once things happened there, I kind of like once I was done playing, I was like, I'm gonna take my kids home to small town Canadian city and let them grow up the way I did. You know, a little bit of freedom, space to run around, and be close to family and friends. 
That's cool. I was I was in Belleville about a month ago. I went to that an autograph thing at one of the stores there in the mall. Uh, about a month ago, I went. But uh, yeah, I actually played with a guy, Rick Maher. Yeah, I know Rick Maher. I know him well. He's yeah, you know, my, yeah, friends yeah. with my old man. Yeah, we uh, my first year. Well, I played against him in college, and then he went off to pro, and then we played together in um, in Halifax when we were in the American League. The, my first year. That's funny. He used to have a golf um, tournament here, actually. The Rich, yeah. the Rick Maher Classic. Yeah, I've been to it a few times. Yeah, yeah. Ricky boy. Yeah. Donut. That was his nickname because he had, he had, he always had that donut around his waist. <laughs> they call him donut. Little muffin top. <laughs> call him donut. Next time you see him, call him donut. Swallowed um, a turtle. <laughs> yeah. Swallowed a turtle. Jeez. Um, uh, uh, great conversation here we're having with you. I, thank you for your time. It's just so awesome. Um, I um, yeah, we're halfway through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck <laughs> off. Hey, honestly, we had Lemire on. Lemire doesn't do any of these. He he was on. We had to fucking kick him off. He wouldn't stop was, talking. He went for two. <laughs> Oh, it's a two hours and 40 minutes. He fucking just kept going. I'm like, well, okay. His wife, his we just went might, with it, right, Tim? Listen to him at home, I guess. <laughs> eh? He needed to get some stuff in. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he was good. Yeah. He was good. But, and you've been great with your time, no question. Um, a couple of things. Um, when you look at your former teammate, um, Jonathan Taze, and what he's gone through, um, God, it must be painful. Do you you stay in touch with him? And, um, I went down to his he, last. Obviously, game. going, I going through a difficult time. Yeah, I think right. He's got to be, but you know, he's got to reach out to teammates who've been through the same thing. You know, I, I mean, I only played seven years there, but he's played his whole career there, so it's it's tough for him to see himself playing somewhere else. But I, I uh, still loves the game. Still, still in uh, pretty good shape. He's still. I mean, you might not be his health. How's his health, though? You know, he went through something, yeah. there, right? Health wise, I think. It, will Will he be able to play again? Oh yeah, I think. Yeah, think? I, I think he'll play next year yeah. somewhere else, though. Um, I think it just took a while to figure out what was going on with him. Um, I think they got it down now, and they they've kind of figured it out. So, I think he's staying on top of it. I think you know. Was it something with the vaccine or uh, no? Or COVID. He got or? COVID before the bubble. And then went into the bubble, and I just remember him telling us how exhausted he was, and he wasn't sleeping, yeah. he wasn't had no appetite, so he wasn't eating, and it just kind of I don't know, he figured it out, and then it came back again, and then it was ne- it never really went away. It was always just kind of there. It was just like maintaining it, just to just well enough so he could play. And I think he needed that year to take off, and I. Mentally and physically, probably just exhausting what he went through. And I mean, it, it ain't probably, easy, right? right? He was a leader when he was 19 years old and a lot of pressure, you know, a lot yeah. of good teams, you know, a lot of hockey. So I think it just, his health took a big hit and I think it took him some time, but I think he'll be back next year ready to go. It'll be weird to see him in another uniform. That's one of those guys you'd be like, holy fuck, really? Well, I'm excited for yeah, him. You know, he gets to go somewhere, and <laughs> yeah. a lot less pressure, a lot less responsibility, and hopefully yeah. just play the expectations, yeah, play the game, and have fun, yeah. you know? Cool. Yeah, his um, last game was, I mean, that was like kind of the end of the, uh, all of it, right? Yeah. Like, I, you know, being from Chicago, you guys. There's no one else Turn the city around. You guys turn the city around. I mean, the youth hockey in Chicago is it's crazy how big it is. And that's from that's because of the Blackhawks. So to see his last game was kind of sad because it was like the end of like that was the end, right? That was yeah. the final. 
He's the last. No. He's the last one to go. But the organization did an amazing job at, at turning youth hockey into something special there. So I think that's you're going to see some good hockey players come out of Chicago. Yeah, I mean, like myself. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like Stapes. You just said me. <laughs> Team Russia, Russian gas, baby. Russian gas. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Andrew. Yeah. Listen, um, I want to thank you for your time, and um, I really hope for you, um, you, you stay healthy and everything's good with your head moving forward. That uh, you don't, you know, suffer any long-term effects from, you know, the career you had. It, it's a shame you're still not playing the game, and um, it's also a blessing that. You have your health now. You, you have healthy kids, your wife, you got a family, and um, that's a good place to focus now while you're making that transition. I, I want to wish you nothing but the best moving forward. And I, thank you. I thank you for joining I, us. I mean that yeah. from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate it. I, I want to say one thing too. Like I, Everything I went through health-wise, concussion-wise, all that, I don't have any regrets with it either. I was true to myself. Okay, I yeah. played hard. I, you know, I... I was me, you know, I wasn't somebody else. So I have zero regrets with it. I love that. And fuck Greg Patterson. Fuck I Greg thought Patterson. you were going to be like, hey, I, I just want to say one more thing. Everything I said, I lied. You just like, got off. That would have been awesome. <laughs> oh, Tim. Um, yeah, so listen, and if you ever get this way, you got my number. Uh, you ever get to Montreal. All right, no, because um, I'll, I'll be there. Can... I'm still really yeah, good buddies yeah, with, with Paulie B, and he still lives there, so. Cool. Well, if you get this way, maybe we'll grab dinner one night. 400 a month, Shazi. Top bunk. He'll give you the top bunk. 400 <laughs> a month. I'm in. I'm in. I love Medusa. <laughs> yeah. We'll go one night. You come to town, all right? All right. Sounds good. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe.